The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing? All right. Hey guys, grab your Bibles, Luke chapter 5. If anyone needs a Bible, throw a hand up in the air and a kind person will bring you one. Hey, while you're finding that, a couple quick announcements. Uh, First of all, hopefully everyone got a green sheet when you came in. Um, That has pretty much everything going on at the church right now. So if you're looking to get plugged in, get involved, uh, take a look at that. There's lots of things um, that this church does that you're probably not even aware of that you should definitely be um, seeing in that. Also, if you're new to the church or if you're visiting or uh, if you just have been here a little while and feel like you don't really know who heritage is and what our culture, what our DNA, what our vision is, all those types of things. Uh, Would you guys stop by the pastor's coffee on the way out um, directly after service in Holy Joe's Coffee Shop? Um, No, we did not name that. Holy Joe's Coffee Shop on the way out. Uh, We'll be hanging out in there. The pastors will be um, and some other leaders so you can get to know kind of who we are and what we do. One other announcement real quick, guys. Um, if you are wanting to participate in not only the, um, the bringing the gifts, but also the uh, Christmas baskets that we're doing today is kind of the deadlines, kind of the last time that you can do that. So if you have a present to drop off, uh, hopefully you can do it at this service. If not, bring it by the hub this week, but this is the last kind of call to get those. So um, be sure and, and do that this week. And if you're wanting to identify someone that needs a Christmas basket, uh, food, meal, or someone that perhaps you'd like to deliver one to, then be sure and stop by the Christmas tree, talk to Jessica Winnie, and get uh, a sign up for that today. That's, that's kind of the deadline. Capiche? Does anyone say that anymore? I don't even know. That's the kip. Okay, that's cool. Right on. All right, let's... Uh, Stand for the reading of God's word. I know you just sit down and you probably are grumbling at me, but that's okay. Luke chapter 5, verse 12. We're going to look at two stories today. Uh, They coincide. We're going to kind of take them on as one. So starting in verse 12 says, While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to a desolate place and pray. Now our second story, verse 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was set, sorry, the power of the Lord was with him to to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed, a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way in to bring him in because... Of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. I want to ask you guys, but before we press on, would you take 20 seconds and would you pray for me? that I could rightly divide the word of truth? And would you pray, even more importantly, for yourself, that you could hear the word of truth? God is pleased when his people ask him to speak and when they listen. So take 20 seconds, and then I will pray, and then we'll proceed.
Father in heaven, we hold this morning the scriptures in the highest regard. We recognize that this is how you have chosen to speak and prophesy into our lives through the living word. We recognize that Jesus, you came as God, fully God, fully man, and that as we look at your life, we know God through you. This morning, we recognize your strength, your power, your faithfulness, your willingness to speak. We submit our hearts under your authority because you're a good father and you love us so much. And so, Lord, would you please speak this morning? Holy Spirit, come and show off the glory of Jesus. And may our hearts expand with love and joy as we are reminded of who you are and who you said that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Grab a seat, guys. So I want you to imagine for a minute, allow your mind to paint the picture. I want you to imagine that as most of you are, you are an American citizen. You grew up in this country. You were born in this country. You have documentation of the fact that you were born in this country. Uh, You work hard. You pay taxes. You abide by the laws and the rules of the land. And one day you get home from work, and it's been a long day. You've worked hard. You're tired. And you, you get into your favorite chair. You turn on your favorite show, and you're just about to close your eyes, and you're at peace, and you feel secure, and you feel safe. And in an instant, you hear a crashing sound as the door of your front house is broken down, and men in black wearing uh, fully armored gear with fully automatic weapons, storm into your house, pull you out of your recliner, throw you on your face, violently arrest you, pull you out the front door, across the lawn where all of your neighbors can see, and you're shoved in the back of a car. Now, all these thoughts are going through your head. This must be a mistake. How can this possibly happen? They must be thinking, I'm someone else. Surely we can figure this out. So you you get brought to the place of interrogation and you sit behind the table and and you're being interrogated. And the interrogator, he says, if you do not present the accurate, the correct, the right paperwork, now you will be deported to another place never to set foot in your home again. And your heart is pounding. But when you hear him say those words, you, you have a little bit of relief because you go, oh, This is where I can clear up the the, the misunderstanding here. So you reach into your back pocket and you go, oh, praise God. Here's my documentation. Let me show you. I'm an American citizen. You need to understand. Look, here's my passport. Here's my driver's license. And you push it across the table thinking that this is going to make this nightmare go away. And the interrogator takes a moment and he looks down at what you've just presented to him. He picks it up and looks at it with disdain and immediately throws it in the garbage can. And he looks into you in the eye and he says, you must have misunderstood me. I said to present your paperwork. To which you would respond, this is the only paperwork that I have. It would be a fearful thing, would it not, to live your whole life thinking that you had this sense of security, that you knew that you were something and that you had access to something, just to realize in a moment that you actually misunderstood the rules, that you didn't understand what you were supposed to have? How much more terrifying and actually more realistic would it be is the fact that one day we will stand before a holy and righteous judge of all the earth. And that judge will look at us and he will say, if you want to come into the kingdom of God, then present your paperwork. And what if you spent your whole life thinking that you had that dialed? Yep, got that taken care of. Prayed that prayer when I was in high school. Abided by the rules. Was belonged to a church. Grew up in youth group. Threw my pine cone in the fire to represent my sins. You know, I, I paid my tithe. I served. So, yeah, no problem, Lord. Here's my paperwork. Here it is. I'm good. I'm in. I got this. 
Just to have the Father look at what you've presented with disdain and disgust and immediately throw it in the garbage saying, this is filthy rags. Depart from me, you unfaithful servant, for I never knew you. Can you imagine how terrifying to think your whole life that you were secure based off of a a, a documentation that proved who you were just to realize that you misread the rules. You didn't understand what it was actually required of you to have God turn you away and say, no, you can't enter into my rest. You misunderstood what was required. I can't think of anything more terrifying than that. And that's not fiction. I didn't make that up. That is what the Bible says could happen if we do not clearly understand what is required of us as his people. So I have a question for you guys this morning, and this is important. I want you to think about this question. I don't care if you've gone to church your whole life. I don't care if you, if, if you know without a shadow of a doubt that you're saved. I want you to ask yourself this question because the Bible says to, and the question is this, is my faith a saving faith? Is my faith a faith that saves? Do I have the right passport? Do I have the right documentation? Will I stand before God with the right papers? Or will I be ashamed that I have the wrong? Now, the Bible's very clear about how we are forgiven. The Bible's very clear about how we have our our sins forgiven. It's through something called justification. Everyone say justification. Great. Justification is this. You, You have been set in the right standing with God. Your sins have been forgiven and paid for and you stand justified. Now that's very important for believers. We need to be justified. That's how we access God's kingdom. It's through justification. There is one way that you are justified. It is not by works. It is by one word. Faith. There is an access point. So justification, salvation is all God. It's all his grace. But there is one thing required of you. There is one thing required of me, and that is my faith, that that I would have faith. It's without this faith, there is no access to God's salvation. There's no access to justification. So faith becomes pretty important, doesn't it? There is one thing that God has required of you And that is faith. He has provided all justification and satisfaction for your sin, but it is accessed by faith. We must ask the question, what is faith? What is faith? And is my faith the right faith? Is my faith a saving faith? Faith is not only what accesses justification, faith is how we are to live as believers our entire life. It is without faith, it is impossible to please him. We are to be those that are defined by faith. We, our lives are to be saturated with faith. We are saved by faith, we live by faith, we will die by faith, we will enter heaven by faith. Faith is the fundamental, most imp- fundamentally most important thing that you and I can have clarity about the definition of. And unfortunately, I think we sort of think we just have that. Like, oh yeah, faith, I got that. That's a fundamental, totally. But do we really understand? The reason that I want to talk about faith this morning other than the fact that this is what our text tells us, is because I've been having pastorally, I've been having conversations with people, and not only me, but some of the other pastors as well, conversations with people in our church, and it's beginning to make me realize something. Something that, that is kind of, kind of terrifying for me, uh, and that is that many of you in this church don't really know whether you have a saving faith. That many of you in this church have grown up in Christian culture and actually could not say without this shadow of a doubt that you are saved because, of the, because you know what faith is. I've had this conversation with multiple people and it's, it's beginning to make me realize that maybe we need to define that. Maybe we need to understand that. What is faith? What is required of us as Christians? So the sermon title this morning is The Fundamentals of Faith. And we're going to do two things this morning. My my goal is that we would define faith and also that we would examine 
faith. The Bible tells us to examine faith. It says in 2 Corinthians 3.15, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Peter says in his epistle, 2 Peter 1.10, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom. So the Bible tells us we need to examine our faith. It's of the utmost importance that we get what faith is and whether ours is the real deal. Everybody got that? Here is the outline for this morning. We're going to look at three things, the most important things. And I say this with absolute confidence. The three most important things you must understand about faith this morning. The first one, if you want to write them down, the first one we'll talk about is the posture of faith. The posture of faith. The second one is the object of faith. And the third is the product of faith. So the posture of faith, the object of faith, and the product of faith. Now, our text is really a faith text. These two stories that we read are rightly joined together. Because although they're different stories— Although they're two different men interacting with Christ, both of them at their center, at their ethos, at their core, is, is faith. Faith is accessing something here. Faith is interacting with Christ. And, and the way that we look at these stories defines for us, helps us see and understand what faith is. See, all three of these men, all three of these men, all three, all two of these men approached Jesus in the same posture of faith. All, both of these men approached Jesus as the same object of their faith, and both of these men approached Jesus with the same product of their faith. So let's dive right in. The first one, the posture of faith. Now I've got to make something really clear, okay? Faith is not a work. It is a posture. Faith is not a work. It is a posture. Romans 4, 2 says, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, Abraham is the case study for Romans here that Paul brings up. He's saying Abraham's a great illustration of faith because Abraham, when he believed God, he didn't do anything. Here's what happened. Abraham was this Joshmo guy living in a Joshmo land, and God picks him out of a crowd, reaches out to him, and says, Hey, you, I want you to be the father of my firstborn, my people, Israel. And Abraham says, Okay. Abraham doesn't get anything at this point, he doesn't understand who Yahweh God is. He doesn't know Trinitarian theology. He doesn't understand justification. He doesn't understand double imputation. He doesn't understand anything. He just knows that God told him to go, and what does he do? He says, okay. In that moment, he accesses complete justification. God, in that moment, accredits complete forgiveness, total cleanness into Abraham's account without him ever really doing anything other than saying, okay. This is what Paul's saying in Romans here. He's saying that faith is not a work. Faith is a posture. It's saying, okay. It's a posture of surrender. It's a posture of saying, okay, I trust you. It's the posture of saying, whatever it is, Lord, you're it. Whatever you say, I don't have to know everything, but I say, okay. My mom told me my whole life, faith is not what you do, it is who you trust. She'd always say, Sam, it doesn't matter what you do, it matters who you trust. It's the most important thing in life for you, is who you trust. The posture of your faith is the opposite of works. So what, let's meet our first person here. Let's meet the leper. The, the leper has a, a very unique posture that, that we can learn. Look at verse 12. He says, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, what is the posture of this man? The posture of this man is this. He falls on his face before Jesus. Now, I've got to paint the picture a little bit of what's going on here, the setting, because if I don't, it doesn't have as much gravitas, okay? So here's the deal. 
Why is this leper fall on his face before Jesus? The synoptics tell us that Jesus is coming back from teaching on the, the uh, sermon. He's teaching the Sermon on the Mount, and he's coming back into Capernaum, and with him was a large group of people. And as he's coming back to Capernaum, all of a sudden this leper approaches Jesus. Now when a man like this approaches, especially a crowd, everyone would have known. Why? Well, because he was a leper. And a leper in that day didn't just mean he had a disease. A leper in that day meant he was a social outcast in every possible way. Leprosy was a disease that, among other things, attacked your nervous system. What that means is that you would not realize that you were actually wounding yourself constantly and constant time and time again. So you'd reach into a fire not realizing that you were doing it. You would accidentally, uh, you know, rub body parts off and have things amputated. So these were brutally disfigured, disformed men. The, the, the leprosy was a skin disease that affected all kinds of different parts of you in all kinds of different ways. Now, if that wasn't bad enough already, uh, the Levitical law literally says that if you're a leper, you are to be a social outcast. You cannot live with people. You have to live outside the camp. If you're 100 to 200 cubits from someone, you have to yell unclean before you come. Okay, so imagine this. You go to a parade and you're a leper. You don't sit on the front curb and watch the parade. You are 200 feet back trying to see over everybody. And even just to be 200 feet back, you're yelling out unclean, right? So everyone knows that you're there. So everyone knows that you're present. This is the life of the leper. They would have been socially outcasted from their family, removed from their friends, living outside the village. Leviticus says they were to wear a cloak over their eyes, grow their hair out long. They were unbathed. They smelled terrible. Everyone knew who they were. Everyone knew to stay away from them. They would not have had physical contact for years. And this is the man who comes approaching Jesus and bows before him, which would have, by the way, been illegal. It would have been illegal. This is the posture of this man. The posture of this man is complete abandonment. It says specifically that he was full of leprosy. That means that he, it wasn't just that he had, uh, you know, a little bit of leprosy or maybe one of his, his limbs or part of his body. No, this, this man was consumed by leprosy. It was full of leprosy. That means it had been affecting him for most of his life. This guy's life is marked by pain and suffering and struggle. He is at the very end of his rope. He has nothing left to go to. And so he goes to Christ, not with the posture of, hey, maybe I'll add this to my life. He goes to Christ with the posture of, I have no other options. It's Jesus or it's, I'm dead. I'm done. I'm gone. Forget it. He's on his last leg. He has nothing left to lean on other than his own disease. This is the posture that he approaches Jesus on. Now, let's look at the second man. Verse 17. Okay, switching to the other story now. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. So maybe a few days later now, this is a different story. We meet our second man, our second case study of faith. This man is not a leper. He's a paralytic. What is a paralytic? A paralytic is someone who cannot move. He, he doesn't have access to his legs. He doesn't have use of his arms. He is completely at the mercy of others. Now let me paint the picture of this setting a little bit. Jesus is inside Peter's house preaching, like Jesus did. That's why he came. He said he came to preach, okay? He's preaching the word, and in his house, it's packed out with people. And on the front row are the Pharisees and, and the, the teachers of the law. Now this is the first time in Luke that we meet the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. The Pharisees were the most respected and pious religious people in that land, Everyone knew who they were. When they walked into a room, people made way for them. So they're in the front row while Jesus is teaching, and everyone knows why they're there. They're not there to take notes. They're there to pounce on Jesus. So as he says something out of line, they're going after him. Not only are the Pharisees there, and not only is it a packed house, but it says specifically, and I love this, it says that, the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Bases are loaded. Now, if you remember, Jesus is choosing to lean into his divinity right now. 
He's choosing to lean into the Holy Spirit. And what Luke is telling us right now is that the Holy Spirit is ready to do some work. You know what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit is ready to do some work. Jesus is ready to, to, to do some healing. Like the miraculous is about to happen. So you have the religious people, you have tons of people filling this house, Jesus is there, and, and, and even though the camera would probably typically be looking inside the house, the real interesting story is outside the house. Because outside the house is a group of friends, and they're, they're having a discussion, and the discussion is this, how do we get our friend, who is a paralytic, how do we get him inside the house? Because the power to heal is inside the house, Right? Jesus is in the, he's in the house. How do we get him in the house? And they're like, well, we can't get in the door. We tried that. We can't go through the back. We tried that. Okay, we can't even see. So what are we going to do? And one of the guys goes, hey, why don't we just break in? <laughs> Let's just climb up on the roof and break the roof. Okay, sure. So they do. They climb up on the roof. Now, roofs in this time were flat, right? Flat roofs. They climb up, there's usually stairs or some kind of a ladder up there. Now, don't picture like a few boards, like, oh, let's just move some boards and we'll climb in. That's not what happened. This is what the roof looks like, okay? There's slats of boards that are laid with cross, uh, laid across the other way with twigs, stuffed with all kinds of different particles, and then covered with about a foot of mud. That was the roof, okay? They didn't want it to leak. So it's, a, it's, it's mud and clay, it's thick, it's, it's robust. So they get up and they go, man, are we gonna get to this roof? Let's start digging. So they start digging into the roof. <laughs> you can just imagine the scene, Jesus, they're preaching, you know, he's talking, all of a sudden, the, one of the Pharisees is like, you know, like, get out of here. Why is this mud? Peter, your roof is like leaking mud. What's going on, you know? They're up there just digging and digging. And you gotta imagine, they dug a pretty big size hole to get this guy down there. He's on a stretcher. He's a full-grown man, okay? Jesus is there. You can imagine he just kind of looks up and he's just probably like, okay, what's going on here, you know? Here comes this man, lowers down, right in front of him. Now, typically people preach this text and they look at the faith of the men, which I think is very important. And I have to say, by the way, how many of us owe a great thanks to people that have lowered us through a roof, to people that have brought us to church, brought us the gospel, taught us the truth when we were a paralytic on a stretcher. Many of us, all of us, owe someone to thank you for that, right? But I don't want you just to think about these four men. I actually want you to, this morning, I want you to think about the man on the stretcher. What is he thinking? What is he feeling? Because it's not just the faith of the men that accesses healing. It's also the faith of this man on the stretcher. It's not just his friends, it's him. You know how embarrassing it would have been for him? Sometimes it's actually harder to be the one on the stretcher than it is to be the one carrying the stretcher. Sometimes it is harder to be the one in the place of dependency. Sometimes it's harder to be the one that has to ask for help than the one that actually gets to give help. It's humiliating, and we as prideful humans, we don't like that. This man was in a posture of abandonment to everything else, in a posture of absolute and complete humility. He had nothing to lose. This would have been embarrassing for him. And you're going to lower me down in front of all of these people. The Pharisees are there. Jesus is there. This is going to be, I'm going to look like such. No, he wasn't thinking about that. He doesn't care. He just wants to be healed. He has abandoned all pride. Cares what I look like. I just want to be healed. Do you notice his posture? His posture is that of abandon. Complete abandon. The posture of the leper. Same thing. He illegally throws himself at the feet of Jesus, doesn't care what everyone thinks of him. I don't care. I just want to be healed. This is the posture of faith. You see, faith is not, I think I'll add Jesus into my life. I think I'll just add some, some church. I think I'll just add a little Christianity because that, that might just kind of benefit my life a little bit. You know, it's, it's time to get our, let's get our family going to church again. Maybe that'll, that'll be good for us. Yeah, it will. But that's not faith. Faith says this, I have nothing else to lean on. I have no legs to stand on. I have no arms to get up. I can't even go through the door. Everything about me is putrid before God's holy righteousness. 
There is nothing about me desirable. I have no strength of my own. I have no other options. This world has nothing for me. No strength. No other gods. All I have, Jesus, is you. That is the crisis place of faith. That is the place to have faith you must come to when you realize that your spiritual state is that of a leper. You are dead and your trespasses and sins. That your spiritual state apart from Christ is that of a paralytic. You can't even walk. You have nothing to give. It's all him. That is the posture of faith that the New Testament commands us to take. Listen to what Kent Hughes says about this leper's posture. He says, the pitiful refrain, unclean, unclean, had shaped the leper's whole psyche. He was a beggar indeed. He truly believed there was nothing within him commendable to God. Thus, he was in the perfect posture to receive grace. This leper pictures us all, does he not? The paralytic pictures us all. Now, we walk around on our two legs, and we feel strong, and we feel like we have something to give, something to offer. But in reality, when God looks at us, he sees us like the man with the wrong passport. He says, what you have to offer is of no value to me. You have no legs. You have no strength. You have no cleanness. And the posture of faith is to come realizing that. It's to come realizing that. Now, secondly, what is the object of faith? Not only the posture of faith, but the object of faith. Because you see, faith is more than just a posture. And Jesus didn't come and save and forgive sins of every broken person. He came for the broken that were willing not just to be postured in brokenness, but to put their brokenness on him. So it's not only the posture of faith, it's secondly, it's the object of faith. Faith is not profession. Faith is possession. It's not just, oh, I spoke something when I was in eighth grade. I just spoke some words. Faith is laying hold of the Messiah, laying hold of Jesus and saying, all my weight is on you. I am not counting on anything other than you to get me to the end. That is faith. It is the object of faith that is most important. Your faith is only as good as the object in which it is directed towards. So if I am a rock climber, and I am not just any rock climber, I am a rock climber that has the epitome of faith. My life is is all about faith. I have a faith t-shirt. I own a company called Faith. I have a rock climbing team called Faith. But my faith is not directed towards anything other than my gear. And my faith is is placed in my rope that is holding me on a cliff. But that that rope is faulty. That rope is torn. And that rope breaks. How valuable is my faith? Who cares how much faith you have if it's not in the right object? Nobody cares. Let me give you, this this is kind of my own uh, definition, but here's what the the world's definition of faith is, at least our, our little culture that we live in, okay? This is what the world defines faith as. Faith is, is basically a hopeful, fuzzy feeling that fate or the universe or any other smattering of inanimate nebulous forces that don't love you or even know you exist will somehow magically work everything in your life together for the good that you have already decided is best for you. (laughs) That's the faith you're being sold. That's the faith Disney's selling your kids. Believe in yourself. Believe in myself? I'm a terrible person to believe in. Oh, I just believe that there's a force out there that's going to work everything together for my good that I decided (laughs) is good. I just believe that, that, that you know, there's, just, there's something out there that, that, that is just going to work everything out. That is not the faith of the believer. Our faith is not resting on some maybe, some possible force, some, some, maybe, some maybe something out there just loves me, cares about me. Our faith is in a person. I want you to look at the object of faith for the leper, firstly, in verse 12. Look at the object of faith for him. He fell on his face 
and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Listen to these words. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Not, oh, force and grand universe, you know, maybe you could maybe, if you want to, if you have the power, you could maybe heal me. No, he goes to the Messiah, he goes to Jesus and says, Lord, if you will, you can. I have faith to know that you have the ability to do that. While simultaneously being completely resolved to God's sovereign and powerful will. If you will, you can. We as Christians, do not have an object of faith that we hope is powerful. We have an object of faith that is power, that is all power in all the universe. We have an object of faith that can heal, and Jesus commands healing in that moment for the leper. The leper's faith was on the right object. It was on the right Object, But even more than that, I want you to see this. Look at verse 13. Not only was his faith on the right object, his faith was on the one who could touch him. Get this. Jesus, verse 13. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Who? The leper. Saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. The object of faith for the leper was a person. The object of faith for secular culture is a feeling or a force. We don't believe in a feeling or a force. We believe in a person, a person who can touch, who can feel. Now, I want you to see the gospel picture here, okay? Look at it again. I want you to see the gospel picture here. Jesus, who is perfect and righteous, is bending over to touch the one who is ceremonially unclean, unpure, filthy, and disgusting. By doing so, he is risking himself becoming ceremonially unclean. Jesus, the author of the universe, the perfect and holy God who has inhabited a body, is bending over to touch the sinfulness of humanity, the uncleanness of humanity. This is a picture of two things. One, it's a picture of God becoming man. God did not sit in heaven in his perfection and his holiness and look at man in his leprous and paralytic state and say, well, I just, I'm just going to throw some blessing that way and hopefully everything will work out. No, he gets off his throne, puts on human flesh, and walks among us, touching lepers. It wasn't like this, Lord, please heal me. And he goes, yeah, you're good. Just keep your hundred, keep your hundred cubits. He walks up to him, and he doesn't touch him. He, the Greek implies, grabs him. This man, do you realize this man had not been touched in years? I've heard stories of people in prison going so long without any kind of physical touch, they go to play basketball just so they can feel people. Not in a perverted way, but just to feel people. People getting haircuts. Someone was telling a story that the other day. Getting haircuts just so someone will touch them. This man hasn't been touched in years. And here is Jesus, the perfect spotless lamb, bending over to grab him and say, I will be clean. And make no mistake, Jesus does not become unclean in that moment because he cleanses him. In the same way, God reaches into this world by his son, Jesus Christ, takes away the uncleanness of you and of me by the cross walks among us. He who knew no sin became sin. He became sin. This is good news. The object of faith for us is not a feeling or a force. It is a person and a person who loves us. Not some universal hope that maybe mother nature has affection for us and will shine upon us. But no, there is a person who loves you and knows you and is working all things together for good of you if you trust him, this is the person of Christ Jesus that our faith is to be resting upon. Who was the object of faith for the paralytic? Let's switch in our head back to the paralytic's story now in verse 20. The object of faith for the paralytic was firstly, verse 20, the one who could forgive sin. Look at verse 20. And when he saw their faith, who? The friends. Okay, when he saw his friends' faith, he said, 
man, your sins are forgiven you. The object of faith for the paralytic was the one who could forgive sins. Now think about this, uh, if this strikes you funny at all, but, but after all that they go through to get this paralytic down through the roof, breaking apart this roof, getting him into the feet of Jesus, Jesus goes, oh cool, your sins are forgiven. And they're like, uh, that's, uh, we didn't, uh, hey Jesus, we brought him to, can you heal him? Like that's all great, you know, but can you heal his legs? And, and Jesus is like, this is the most important. I've just healed him of the ultimate disease. He is forgiven. He is made right. And they're confused a little bit by that, right? The object of faith for the paralytic was the one who could forgive sins. And the object of faith for us must be the only one that can forgive sins, the only one that can cure, cure us of our leprosy, the only one that can take away our sinfulness. It must be Christ. Only he can forgive sins. Do you understand what Jesus is doing right here? He's saying, I'm God. Let me show you. Verse 21, the scribes and the Pharisees began to question. Now, I told you, they were sitting in the front row. They're charged. They're like ready to pounce. Spirit of the, God, Spirit of the Lord is, is ready to work. He, he, he's, he's just forgiven this man's sin. His faith has access justification. And the Pharisees are like, wait a minute. Only God can forgive sins. To which I say, ding. Yes, right. You got it. it it's true. The Pharisees actually got their theology right. The Old Testament says only God can forgive sin. So what is Jesus saying here? He's not saying, uh, hey guys, um, I, might be, I might be God. No. He's saying, hey, I'm God. I am God. I just forgave this man's sins. And only God can do that. Are you guys awake now? That's what I was hoping to do there. Okay. Uh, I'm God. Only God can forgive sins. And I just did it. So there. The Pharisees are just like, whoa. Okay, wait a minute. <laughs> we weren't expecting him to make that claim. He just outed himself. Not only as Messiah, but as God. Himself in human flesh. The object of the faith of the paralytic was not just some rabbi. Not just some sorcerer who could conjure up tricks. Not just some doctor who could give him medication. The source of faith for the paralytic was God and human flesh. The one who could forgive sin. The one who had the power to forgive sin. But not only that, listen. Also, the one who had the power to back it up. I love this story. Look at it. Verse 23. Jesus asks them a question. He says, why do you question in your hearts? Why is this confusing you that I just claim to be God? Well, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, get up and walk. In other words, what's easier, guys, for me to forgive this man's sin or for to make someone who, who possibly has never walked before just stand up and walk out of here? What's, what's, what do you guys think? What do you think? Jesus says, how about I just do both? <laughs> you, know what, you know what this is? This is the Babe Ruth moment where he points out in the stands. It's like so many guys do, right? They go, oh, I'm going to hit the ball over the fence. Like, no, you're not. You're going to strike out. But Babe Ruth, okay, and all of his fallen sinfulness, but whatever. Babe Ruth steps up to the plate, legendary, points up into the, into the grandstand, steps back, and cracks the ball right where he says he was gonna. The object of our faith is not the one who just talks. The object of our faith is the one that has the power to back up his truth claims. The object of our faith is not a God who said, Moses, go tell the Israelites that they're gonna get out of there. Have fun with that. No, the object of our faith is the one that said, Moses, you go tell Pharaoh that I said, the I am said, to let my people go and I will back it up. The one who sent plagues on Egypt and parted a sea. The same God 
that, that when Jesus said, I will be with you even to the end of the age, and then the Pharisees are, or the, the disciples are confused when he dies, raised him from the dead. <laughs> the same God who said, I'm going to do a new work and write the law of God on man's heart. And then he sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and thousands were saved. And now there are billions of Christians on the face of the earth that have lived and died because God backs up his promises. Because he's not a God that just says truth claims. He's a God that backs them up. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, oh, you don't think I just forgave his sins? Well, that's the hard work. Let me do the easy work. Get up and walk out of here. What a God we serve. He doesn't just make truth claims. He backs them up. This is having the right object of faith. This man had it right. He had the right objects. He rested himself on the right object. Why did he do that? Let's look lastly at the product of faith. So not only is it the posture of faith. You guys tracking? Are we good? Everybody awake? Everybody happy? Okay. It's not only the, 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 the posture of faith. It's not only the, what was the second one? I forgot. Object, thank you. The object of faith. It's thirdly, the product of faith. Okay, now let me, let me say this really clearly. The first two, we're trying to help you understand what faith is. The last one is going to help you understand whether you have it or not. Is my faith genuine? Is my faith the kind of faith that is fully resting on God? Is my faith the kind of faith that has the right object? I want to help you guys understand that, and I want you to do some self-examination this morning, because the Bible says to, and there's no more important question we can ask than, is our faith a saving faith? So we're going to look at the product of faith. Now, listen to this. Jesus illustrates the internal through the the external. Jesus always illustrates what he's doing on the inside through what, he's, through what he does on the outside. He doesn't just do things on the inside of you and then not give you anything to show that, that something has happened on the inside. God, God illustrates outwardly what he's doing inwardly. Now, if you walked out your door one day and you decided that uh, you were going to go check the mail, and as you're walking across the street, a Mack truck comes at 80 miles an hour and plows you over. Would you get up and dust yourself off and walk in the house and go to your wife, babe, I, I think I might have just got hit by a Mack truck. I don't, I don't know. Do you think I did? I don't know. Let me go ask someone, you know. <laughs> no, it's It's ridiculous. If you got hit by a Mack truck at 80 miles an hour, you would go flying. You would probably die, but you would know. You would know, and you would tell everybody, do the craziest thing just happened to me. I got hit by a Mack truck going 80 miles an hour. It was insane. Look, there's tire marks on me. Look, I have a grill mark on my face. This is crazy. Like, there's no way that you would not know. How much greater is the sovereign, saving, powerful grace of God and salvation that affects the non-believer supposed to affect us in a way that changes us? If you have faith, it's going to result in change. It's going to result in something happening. Listen to what James said in chapter 2, verse 14. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Notice he doesn't say, can faith save him? <laughs> he doesn't say, can faith save him? He says, can that faith save him? In other words, can a faith that doesn't affect you, can a Mack truck that hits you at 80 miles an hour and doesn't leave any kind of a mark actually be real? Or did you just think that up? If God of the universe has saved you, there will be result of it. There is a product of faith. He goes on to say, but someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. James says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. I will show you my faith by my works. He goes on, you believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? 
There must be a product of our faith. If there is no product of our faith, our faith is not genuine. Listen to what Spurgeon said. Faith and works are bound up in the same bundle. He that obeys God trusts God, and he that trusts God obeys God. He that is without faith is without works, and he that is without works is without faith. We are not saved by faith and works. We are saved by grace through faith alone. But our faith brings forth works. It's faith that works. Our faith brings forth change. It must. So what is the product of the leper's faith? I want to, again, look at our two case studies here. Let's look at the leper. What was the product of his faith? What changed in him? What affected him? The first thing was worship. Look at verse 14. So after Jesus cleanses him, and he's clean in verse 14, Jesus charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing. So Jesus says, hey, you're clean, now go make an offering. Now, I want to clarify something. That offering was not an offering of payment. Okay, it was not a, it was not a, a payment offering. It was a praise offering. You understand that? It wasn't, hey, go pay, for, go pay for what I just did. No, it was like, I just, did a, I just did a miracle, and now you need to go worship God for it. Now, do you think that this leper, who had spent his last possibly 30 years segregated from all of culture, unable to go to the temple because he's unclean, do you think that he would have looked up at Jesus and gone, oh, man, seriously, the football game's on? He would have run to the temple to have his miracle confirmed so that he could go through the week-long process of worship and cleansing and bathing that Leviticus 14 tells us about so that he could go into the temple and offer sacrifice to praise God for the healing that took place. He could not get there fast enough. Worship is the byproduct of the faith-filled person. If you don't worship God, then you have not been affected by God. I'm not just talking about the Sunday morning service. I'm talking about your life. Your life will be a worship-filled life if you have been affected by God. i got to ask you guys, are you excited to worship God? Again, I'm not just talking about Sunday morning. Well, I just don't really like singing. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you get up in the morning, do you think, when you think about the Lord and you spend time in prayer with the Lord, you start to think, man, God, I just, you're so worthy. Or is that just kind of an annoyance to you? When you think about worshiping God in eternity forever, does that sound boring? Does that sound like something you don't want to do? Examine your faith. Do you see the grace of worship as oxygen, as a benefit, as a blessing, or do you see it as a hindrance, as an annoyance? This idea of glorifying God with my life is just an annoying frustration to me. I'd rather just be about my stuff. And not only was the product of the the leper's faith worship, it was also restoration. Imagine this. This man has been separated from probably his family and his friends and his loved ones for years. His life is in shams. This leprosy has consumed him and strangled him. It has been like hands on his neck, wringing his neck for years, destroying not only his body but his entire being. And in an instant, Jesus the Christ has freed him from that leprosy. And the first thing he wants to do is go put the pieces of his life back together. Go back and kiss his kids. Hug his wife. See his father, his mother. He he wants to, to run as far from that leprosy as he possibly can. Getting away from everything that that leprosy represented in his life. It was brokenness. It was sin. It was, it was just, it was horrific. Is that the way that you think about your life before Christ? The things that, you, that were strangling you, the leprosy that Christ freed you from by the cross? Is, is you at a place where you say, I just don't want anything to do with that garbage? Or are you like, oh, thank you for healing me, Jesus. I just really want to go back and live in the leper colony and not talk to anyone and just never bathe and leave my hair long. It would be the last thing you would think about doing. You're free. You're clean. I'll go, live it out. That is the reality of the faith interaction that happens when God heals us of our leprosy. We go, never again am I going back to that stuff. Now, we struggle. 
Sure, there were some patterns there that he would have to change. You got to go get a haircut. Take some time. But he wouldn't run back to it. You'd want to be as far away as he could from it. So let me ask you, are you inviting the redeeming hand of God in your life to put pieces back together? Or are you resistant? Nah, I'm good with my leprosy. Are you resisting the freedom from your spiritual leprosy? Do you see your former life as leprous? When you talk about what your life was like before Christ found you, does it kind of sound better than what you have now? Examine your faith. Think about it. Now, what was the product of the paralytic's faith? Let's look at that. Verse 22. What was the product of the paralytic's faith? Again, we read this again, but I want to look at it again with some different eyes. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? Verse 24, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed, and walk. What was the product of the faith of the paralytic? The product of his faith was that he got to become an illustration. Why did Jesus do that? Why did Jesus forgive his sins and then say, hey, get up and walk? Because Jesus was showing off the glory of God. Why why does he say it? He He says why he did it in verse 24. He says, but that you may know. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority. He says, in order that you can get and understand that God has all authority in the universe, get up and walk. The product of the faith of the paralytic was that he became an illustration. He became an illustration for Jesus. When you're communicating, when you're preaching, when you're writing, when you're doing anything like that, illustrations are very important. It's the kind of the, the, the look, look up, lean in moment. You know, I watch you guys. I'm like burying you in theology, and then I'll, I'll tell a story, and you guys are like, you know? It's, 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 it's very important that there's illustrations to stories. If you don't give illustrations, people just, they just check out. It's just reality. Now, what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, hey, paralytic, I need you to be an illustration really quick. Are you good with that? Now, guys, do you think he was okay with that? Yeah, he was okay. Do you think he was fine with his life and his body and his healing and his everything, all of his embarrassment, all of his selfishness, all of the, all of the things he'd, he'd done in his life, everything that who he was, do you think he was okay with handing that over and saying, yeah, God, use it, use it. I'm just an illustration now. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with that? Are you, are you willing to be an illustration in, in the story of God, the greatest storyteller? Are you willing to say, I am an illustration of God's authority over sin, over brokenness, God's grace? What do you think that we're here for? Why do you think God chose the church? So we could be an illustration to the world, to the heavens of grace, so the angels could look at us and be like, what in the world? Why do you love those guys? And we say, hey, we're illustrations. It's what we are. In the book of Hebrews, the author talks about a cloud of witnesses. He says that there's this cloud of witnesses, this armada of of past people that have lived according to faith. And they are witnesses to faith. They are witnesses to what it means to follow God. And they're following in the footsteps. We are following in the footsteps of the perfect illustration, which is Jesus. So the posture of the faith of the paralytic was that he got to be part of God's story. He got to be an illustration, every part of him. The believer is nothing more and nothing less than the illustration of God's grace and mercy. Now guys, I'm okay with that. I'm totally fine with that. Are you okay with that? Does that sound weird that your whole life was created and sustained and saved for an illustration of God's glory? Because it is. And that's the life of the believer. That is the product of his faith. And let me ask you a really hard question. What if, it, what if the story went differently? What if Jesus said, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority, hey, buddy, you got to stay paralyzed. I'm not going to heal you. He could have, but what if he didn't? 
So if, if God doesn't heal you, are you still willing to be an illustration? If your illustration is not a miraculous healing, but rather if your illustration is a life of pain and sorrow and struggle and hurt, are you still willing to be an illustration? I want to make a very important point to you, and we'll close with this. Faith is something you grow into. Okay? Faith is something you grow into. I was, I was running yesterday, and I was thinking about this sermon, and I was praying for you guys, and I was praying over the sermon, and I was just thinking, Lord, am I, am, I getting what you're, am I getting what you're wanting to say here? And, and I was thinking about faith, and I was pondering this posture of faith. And as I was running, uh, this truck, no, it wasn't a Mack truck, but this big truck just, maybe that's where I got the Mack truck analogy, but this truck is going by, and it just like zoomed really close to me. And it just like, for some reason, like you ever have a thought just hit you with gravity? This thought just hit, with, hit me with gravity, and I, and I thought to myself, what if that truck just took me out? What if the rest of my life was spent living out what I just preached to you guys? What if God said, hey, Sam, I don't want you just to preach this. You're going to illustrate this by being on a bed, having your wife change your diaper for the rest of your life. How would I react to that? Would I still preach this? Would I still believe this? And I thought about it for like half a mile. <laughs> it's terrifying. I said, like, Lord, please don't do that. <laughs> but you know what I realized? I sure wouldn't feel that way at first, but I would grow into it. I would grow into it. You may not feel right now like what God is asking you to do to be this illustration. Like you may not feel like you have the faith to do that, but here's the good news about faith. It grows. The, the man Abraham that God called and accredited all this righteousness to him, you know, a little bit later he lies and says his wife is his sister. Idiot, you know. But then years later, we find a different Abraham, a man who, who walks and has his only son, and he's willing to sacrifice him. The faith of Abraham grew. You know, Peter, I mean, he betrayed Christ three times. And then we look at Peter in the New Testament in Acts, and it's like, wow, you grew. Faith starts small but it grows. We grow into it. And so you may, you know, you may think, no, I don't have that crazy faith that you're, you're talking about, but look, guys, listen to me. Do you have the posture right? Do you have the object right? Is your faith in the right one? Are you approaching Christ and saying, all I have is you? Faith is, is not a work. It's a grace. It's not a commodity. It's a necessity. It's not profession, it's possession. It's not entitlement, it's a treasure, and it's an expensive one. It's not a given, it's a muscle. We need to work it. And my prayer for you guys is that we will stand before God, and when we stand before God, he will look at us, and we will not hold forth the paperwork of our own works. That We'll not say, here, Lord, look at all that I did but that God of the universe will look at us and say, why should I let you into the kingdom? To which you will say, Jesus. Jesus is my covering. I put my whole life on him. To which God will say, come on in. That was the right passport. The passport was not your works. The passport was Christ's works. The paperwork that you should have had was not your self-pride. It was Jesus, and Jesus is perfection. And God will invite us into our heavenly dwelling, and our nostrils for the first time will breathe in air that is untainted by sin and destruction and pain and grief where we will begin to worship and explore God in a world a lot like this, but a whole lot less broken, with God in the center, where there is no need for a son because he lights up everything forever. Examine your faith. There's nothing more important you can do. Understand faith. There's nothing more important you can understand than your faith. Amen? Let's all stand. Father, in heaven, let that be true.
for all of us. May there not be a soul in here that has not done the work of examining whether our faith is true. God, we choose now to rest all of who we are on your perfect life. We ask, Jesus, that you would impute your perfection to us. And that if we are saved, that we would now be living out of that confidence, walking in what you have for us, growing our faith, being sanctified, made into your likeness now. If there's anyone in this room this morning that does not have that assurance, Lord God, would you lead them to your feet? Lord, if there's anyone in this room this morning that does not have authentic faith, would you save them now? And Lord, would they come to that crisis point in their life where they see nothing else as possible salvation besides you? God, we love you so much. We thank you that you, you love us, you walk with us, you live in us. And we thank you that we get to be part of your story. We get to be illustrations. And Lord, we love you in Jesus' name, amen. Lord, bless you guys. Have a great afternoon.